Welcome to the Body Mind Spirit Show with me, your host, Coach Rita Hurry. Welcome to the Body Mind Spirit Show with me, your host, Coach Rita Hurry. Welcome everyone to the Body Mind Spirit Show with me, your host, Rita Hurry. Today I have a very special guest. His name is Brandon Burns and he is a keynote speaker and high performance life and business strategist. Brandon, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you so much for having me on. This is uh it's always a privilege to go on on anybody's show and anybody's interview, but I think when you're talking about something as important as you know developing somebody's mind body spirit uh there's no greater honor than to help contribute to that so thank you for having me thank you so can you share a little bit about your childhood journey growing up and what you actually went through because I know you did experience some difficulties during this period yeah yeah for sure um so I was born and raised in a small town called Huntsville Alabama um, you know, being from the South, there wasn't a whole lot going on. It's funny before we started, uh, rolling the camera here for the interview, we were talking about different places in the United States to go visit. And Huntsville is probably not going to be one of those cities that makes the list. You know, <laughs> it's not a place where you'd say, Oh, I got to go visit Huntsville, Alabama. Yeah. Uh, there was nothing wrong with it, but it was just a little bit of a small town. Um, a couple of those challenges, you know, that you mentioned, I would say my biological father wasn't, uh, in my life, full, fully present in my life at that age. You know, I've been blessed enough to be able to heal that relationship now, uh, now that I'm older. But when I was growing up, he had actually left my mom or my him and my mom had split up before I was ever born. Um, now, luckily for me, my stepfather had jumped in there also before I was ever born. So I had that role model, that father figure there all the time, but I still struggle with that a little bit. Like, why didn't he want me, you know? Um, so that was something that I definitely grew up thinking a lot about financially. There were a few things, you know, I, I vividly remember being probably 14 or 15 years old. And of course, when you're that age, you don't understand money completely. Like you don't really understand economics yet, Mm. but I knew that it caused stress. I remember watching my mom pick up the phone one day And I didn't know who it was. I only caught her half of the conversation and she literally ran down the hallway. We had a 900 square foot house. So it was kind of hard to do something without people seeing it, you know, and she ran down the hallway and locked herself in her room because she didn't want me to see her cry and come to find out it was a bill collector on the other side of that phone. And they were saying, Hey, you haven't made your car payment yet. We're actually out on the streets looking for your car to come repossess it. And that had affected her so much. Yeah. That, um, you know, she, she got so emotional about it and she didn't want me to see it. And I remember sitting there in my room thinking, man, why are we, why are we going through this? Like my parents are such good people. Why are we going through some of these things? And then I guess the last thing I would say is, you know, there were, there were definitely some health challenges, um, not with myself, but with my parents, you know, my, my mom, um, she has a, a very rare autoimmune disease called dysautonomia. Um, not very well understood, not a whole lot of research has been done with it yet, but, um, it, it affects her pretty, pretty heavily. And so always in and out of the hospital, you know, tests and everything else. Um, and, and thankfully 
you know, she's okay as of now. Um, But there was definitely that, that layer of stress. So I think between those three things, and let me be just super clear, I had a phenomenal childhood in terms of what my parents gave me, you know, sometimes you say those things and you think, oh my gosh, you had such a a rough upbringing. It's like, eh, I had two parents that, that genuinely loved me. And uh, we always had a roof over our head. We always had food. And there was always a very clear understanding that I was loved, valued, and appreciated. And I think that if you got those things, you can get through the rest no matter what. So there's a little overview of the childhood. Yeah. No, I'm glad that you actually mentioned that because a lot of um, when people hear that, you know, obviously what you went through, it's so easy to forget the blessings that you had in terms of being loved, having a roof over your head, having food on the table, no matter how tough it was. And I'm so glad that you mentioned that because it's, again, you're looking for the good things that came out of that, even though there were difficulties within that, which is life, really. There are difficulties and it's pulling out the good stuff, isn't it? A hundred percent. I mean, the the non-negotiable of life is adversity. You're not going to go live a whole life especially you're never going to do anything great and really make something of yourself without encountering adversity. That, that just comes with it. Like that's not even a negotiation. It's not like, would you like fries with that? It just comes with the meal. (laughs) You know what I mean? You can't get away from it. So I think rather than saying, well, why is this happening or poor me, or it's so much more productive to refocus your mindset and say, number one, where are the blessings in all of this? And then number two, what am I going to do to change the things that maybe I don't like, right? I remember being 15 years old thinking about how am I going to make money when I'm a grown up? You know, like, how am I going to make sure that this financial stress doesn't affect me or my family like this one day? I was already thinking about those sorts of things, you know? And, And again, luckily, I had a family that they poured into me and they said, hey, this doesn't have to be your life. Like, this is what we have now but you can do anything that you want to do. I, and and that genuinely comes from my parents pouring into me. And I have this, this unreasonable belief that anything I want to do, I can do. Like if I want to be the president in 40 years from now, I can be the president. If I want to be an astronaut, I can, like I have, I have the self-confidence of a six-year-old, you know, just completely unrestricted confidence. Yeah. And I genuinely think it's because my parents said, Hey, here's the reality that we have, but whatever you can think and whatever you want it to be, sky's the limit yeah I love that and I love the fact that we've already gone into the whole mindset things straight off the back so I'm sure the listeners out there will know okay where this is heading that it's generally food for thought and moving people forward so I love that thank you for sharing that now not um looking to obviously dwell on um the mishaps that you you've been through and all all the um things that you've gone through in life but you did come on to become an athlete in um men's gymnastics but unfortunately this came to a sudden end so how did this impact your mindset and, and what actually happened there Yeah. So I started the sport of gymnastics when I was 10 years old, which if you know anything about gymnastics, you know, that's already a little bit late to the game. And then because of some of those financial challenges, uh, the gym that I was at, 
the reason that I was there, um, one, it was the closest gym to home and everything else, but they were giving us some help with the tuition, you know, that gym, they came to know us, know me, my family, they kind of knew the situation and they were letting me train there, you know, a little bit off the books. Um, so that was the only way, you know, cause when you're a gymnast like that, especially in those formative years, you're training 20 hours a week or more, mm-hmm. you know, um, and we just couldn't afford it. So they were helping us out a little bit. But unfortunately, that gym didn't have a competitive men's program. They had a competitive women's team, but not a competitive men's team. So I couldn't compete there. I was going to have to move gyms, which meant, you know, number one, as a super shy, introverted, anxious kid who kind of thought that the world was out to get him, you know, that was really, really scary for me because I had built a bond with this coach. I, I knew the coach. I knew the environment. So now you're telling me I've got to completely change all of that. So there was a, a lot of resistance there on my part. And then financially, you know, going to another gym meant that they might not necessarily give us the same grace and the same breaks on tuition that this other gym gave us. Mm-hmm. So between those two things and kind of figuring all of that out, it took me until I was 16 years old to make that shift, to make that switch, go to a new gym and begin competing. So I was competing at 16 years old as a first year competitive gymnast against guys who had been in the game for a decade at that point point. started competing when they were six years old, you know? Um, and so that was, it was a little bit nerve wracking, you know, got through it. I did two years of level 10, which is the highest level that you can do before going to college. Yeah. And then I was a walk-on at the university of Michigan, which was the dream school, right? They were back-to-back national champions in, uh, 2014 and, 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 or excuse me, 2013 and 2014, I walked on in 2015. Uh, the first year I made the team, it was a big, big transition for me. I was homeschooled uh, from second grade all the way through high school graduation. So I went from a school of one to a school of 60,000, just wow. like that. Uh, so it was definitely a transition. It's a lot more, it was a lot more high pressure environment, I would say, coming from, especially men's gymnastics. Men's gymnastics in high school is just hanging out with the guys, having a fun time doing flips. In college, there that's some some high stakes to it, you know. So it was definitely a different environment, definitely some anxiety that came with that. Uh, the first year I made the team as a redshirt freshman, meaning I wasn't good enough to compete, but I was good enough. They saw some potential there that they kept me on the team. And then I was in college for five years. First year I made it. Every subsequent year, four years in a row. I was cut from the team. So, you know, you asked, what did that do for me? Uh, and how did that impact my journey? A couple of things. I would say, number one, it definitely made me question that unbridled confidence that I mentioned earlier. Yeah. I don't want people to think that I got that from my parents and it's just been there untouched, unscathed mm-hmm. my entire life, right? That seed was planted. And then it was like, God kind of looked down and said, okay, but are you serious about that? You know, now it's got to be put to the test. So the confidence was there from early on, but then when you start getting cut from the team every year and you're constantly told you're not good enough, you're not good enough, you're not good enough. You know, the anxiety of, am I going to make the team this year? The physical stress of surgeries and injuries and all these different things were kind of weighing down on me and it was put to the test, you know? And I think what it taught me was that I had to learn how to disassociate my confidence from a particular outcome. And I'll never forget a, a good friend of mine now, her name's Carly Patterson. She was an Olympic gold medalist. Mm-hmm. I heard her speak one time. It's such a full circle moment being a speaker now. I heard her speak one time and she said that hard work never disappears. 
And I didn't understand it at the time because when I heard that, I was, again, 15, 16 years old. And I said, well, to me, it certainly looks like my hard work disappeared because I just worked my butt off for five years and never really made the team, never got the trophy, never won anything. Like, this looks to me like it disappeared. Yeah. And what I finally realized is that the hard work, even though it didn't manifest into a trophy, it didn't manifest into a medal around my neck, it did manifest into a depth of character that I wouldn't have been able to achieve. Mm-hmm. It it manifested into wisdom. It manifested into resolve, resilience. It manifested into me knowing who I am and being able to walk with a certain kind of confidence yeah. that I would never have been able to have before. Because now I have proof. Like people like to say, I work hard. I've got a strong mindset. I'm consistent. People love to say that stuff. Mm-hmm. I have receipts, five years worth of getting my teeth kicked in, right? And still showing up and still coming to morning practice at six o'clock in the morning and still being there in the gym at 8 p.m. when the rest of the guys left two hours ago. I have proof of that, right? Mm -hmm. So I would say to anybody that's listening, if you're going through a situation like that where it feels like that identity that you have, that self-esteem, that confidence is just getting punched in the mouth over and over again, even though it doesn't feel like it right now, what you're going through today is actually what will form the strongest version of you tomorrow so just stay the course yeah definitely I definitely agree with that because you know life has many ups and downs but at the same time it's what you take from those down moments that gives you the strength to keep on moving up because as you said it builds character it builds strength and it sounds like there was almost like a pattern there from listening to obviously when you were growing up in your childhood experiences and then also what you went through as an athlete it's like it's again it's that pattern of pulling out what can work for you and what can help you get through this onto the next stage of your life and I see like almost that spiritual essence of this is not just it there's more Brandon there's more for you did you get that feeling when you were actually you know it sounds like you were in that transition point for yourself did you get that feeling actually no I'm being pulled for something something bigger that probably I didn't even think about before you know what's that's a great question I don't think I've ever been asked that before I didn't when I was in it I do now um I think my spiritual journey I was a little bit behind on. I think the personal development journey, I was always into that. You know, I remember being yeah. 14, 15 years old. And every time that I heard a motivational speaker or a video, or even my parents, if I just heard something that I felt like was was wisdom, it was good advice, it would help me live a better life, mm-hmm. I would write it down. I've still got the notebook somewhere in this office right now right. of just these writings of, you know what, that was really smart. That's going to help me in life. Let me write this down. So the personal development side was always there. The spiritual development didn't really come until I was uh, already halfway through college, probably 22 years old. Um, and we can definitely you know, get to that. But I think a lot of that resolve that you're talking about honestly came from my dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mentioned earlier that you know technically he's my stepfather, but since he's been there since quite literally the day yeah. that I was born, that's my dad to me. You know, it, yeah. it, it still blows my mind that he would take on an obligation and a responsibility that's that's not his. Like he had no uh, need 
to love me the way that he did to accept me into his family. Like he has, like, there was no obligation there. And, um, you know, he, he truly has, has changed my life for the better. And I can't think of a better or bigger blessing that I've ever received than my dad. Um, but you know, I remember specifically whenever he would be sick, whenever he didn't really feel well, unless he was like just bedridden and could not get out of bed, mm -hmm. he would always go to work. And I remember I asked him about it one time when I was really young, like seven or eight years old. He said, well, if I'm going to feel bad, I'd rather feel bad doing something than feel bad sitting down in the bed. I and I say, you know what? Yeah, That kind of makes sense. Mm. You know, and he always would say that uh, it's always mind over matter. If you don't mind, it don't matter. You know, just these little phrases of, of dad wisdom. And I think that was the mentality that kept me going through a lot of that early adversity in, in the college years. You know, it, it just to me, it's like if I'm going to be going through this anyway, why not get something from it? Like, what's the alternative? Just lay down and let let this happen to me and not get anything from it. You may as well see what you can take from it. You may as well let it build you up because the secret to life is if you do that over a long enough time period, you can't help but win because you will become so good internally. Like the goal isn't to win at any specific thing. It's not to go get a gold medal here, to go make a certain amount of money. That's not the goal. The goal is to attempt those things. And in the pursuit of them, you become somebody that's so great that eventually it doesn't matter what you try and do, you'll be successful. Yeah. But if you stop at the first sign of adversity, the first time you get punched in the mouth, then you're never going to become the person that's capable of carrying on and moving forward later in life and being able to accomplish whatever you want to accomplish. Yeah. Yeah. So true. And I mean, I, something I always share is always about building that self-awareness, which is, is what you were doing there. You were actually building you up and finding mm -hmm. out about you and what you what your strengths and what your weaknesses were. I mean, when the, obviously, um, the whole situation happened in terms of your athletic career, what what was it that actually happened that you had to change and turn things around for yourself? I would say the moment where I had to start changing and turning things around, it, it was, it's hard to say one specific moment, I think it was a continuous process, right? Because at first, you know, the first year that I got cut, the mission wasn't necessarily growth oriented. It was results oriented, Okay. you know, and, and I think there can kind of be an argument made for doing the right things for the wrong reasons mm -hmm. sometimes turns into a really good thing. Sometimes if you do the right things for the wrong reasons, eventually through that process, you learn what the right reasons really are. And then you start to do the right things for the right reasons. I think that kind of happened to me. So when I got cut from the team the first year, it was, how do I get back on the team? How do I get the results? Yeah. How do I, you know, redeem myself from the shame that I'm feeling right now? Right. Totally wrong reasons, shallow reasons. But that was what I was working so hard for. And then it happened again and again, and, and eventually it just became a matter of, okay, strictly based on results, I might not make the team. Like just looking at the data, you know, I'm, I'm 0 and 4. I might not make the team, mm -hmm. but now it's about the commitment. Now it's about the way you do anything is the way you do everything. 
And I want to know that I'm actually committed as I said I was, because when I got here as a freshman, as a young, energetic 18 year old, I said, I'm going to do everything that I can to help the team. I'm going to stick to this no matter what happens. Now it's about proving to myself that I meant it. Because the problem is if I quit on myself now, if I go back on my word now, then when I'm 35, 40 years old, got two kids and a wife, I might quit on them because I quit on myself. Hmm. I can't set the precedent that I'm willing to do that. And yeah. so then it became a lot more about, okay, who am I? You know, my, my buddy, Inky Johnson, phenomenal guy, phenomenal speaker. Mm-hmm. He likes to say that commitment is staying true to what you said you would do long after the feeling that you had set it in has left. And that was the situation that I had found myself in. And it was just a question of, do I want to look back on this point of my life, even though it was constant riddled with failure, I can, I still have an opportunity to look back on this, this part of my life with pride and being happy about who I was in those moments. Yeah. Do I want to let that opportunity slip just to get some comfort? And I wasn't willing to do that. Brilliant. And I, I, it's, it is about learning about what you've been through and taking that with you and moving forward. So you moved forward and obviously you teach a lot of people about peak performance. Can you explain what exactly is peak performance? It's a great question. Peak performance is working constantly on closing the gap between where you could be and where you are. And I think that we all have a potential that is just about limitless. And I think that we owe it to ourselves and everybody else around us to see how close we can get to that potential. And in whatever it is that you want to do, you know, I tend to take a very holistic approach. So I I can't say that you are living up to your potential and that you have become the version of yourself that God had in mind when he created you. If you make a bunch of money, but you neglect your family mm-hmm. or you make a bunch of money and you're super out of shape or you're in amazing shape, but you don't do anything to contribute to your community to like it's got to be holistic. And I think that just striving constantly to see how much can you close that gap, that's peak performance. Brilliant. So in terms of the whole body, mind, spirit ethos, we mentioned obviously the spiritual side of things. And a lot of the spiritual side of things gets lost in terms of, okay, understand the body, mind and you know, having the right mindset and looking after your health, but the spiritual aspect, some, a lot of people claim that's woo woo. What what do you say to that? And how has your spiritual journey helped you? So the first thing that I would say is what's the alternative, Mm -hmm. right? If you want to take a very nihilistic approach and say, you know, there is no such thing as spirituality, Um, I'm just a a set of cells that are firing in a particular way to make myself conscious. Uh, Everything is meaningless. We're all going to die. And there's no such thing as legacy and all these different things. You know, if you want to take that approach, I would just challenge you to ask yourself what, what outcome is or result will come from that. That is better than if you choose to integrate that spirit aspect into your life. Like what, what, how does that going to help you? You know, because when I look at people who are really just on fire for their lives, they're passionate, they work super hard, not because they have to, but because they want to, it's because they feel like they're in their purpose. It's because they feel like they're doing something meaningful. It's because they feel like they're, they're doing something that's, that's bigger than themselves. I've never seen somebody achieve really, really massive success 
And when I, when I say I've, I gotta be careful with that because sometimes people will say, well, I know somebody who, you know, won a gold medal at, uh, uh, you know, the national championships for track and field, and they don't really care. They were just nat naturally talented. Okay, cool. I hear you. That's a level of success. And they didn't integrate that spirit into their lives. But I'm saying, go look at the people who are really changing the world. They had internal success for themselves. I'm talking about success that affects other people, right? If it's success for you and only for you, and it has no ripple effect, is that really success? Or are you just making yourself feel good? I don't know. The people who are doing things on a massive scale are almost always purpose-driven. They're almost always doing something meaningful with their lives, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing I would say is just look at the results and let's get practical about it. The second thing that I would say is, and this is purely personal experience, mm -hmm. when I didn't have that spirit aspect in my life, I was not getting very good results. When I implemented that into my life, I got way better results. Like I'm a very practical person. Like I was the person that you just referenced that thinks that it was woo woo. Like that was me 10 years ago. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I've just been on a journey and I get better results with the spiritual side than I do with anything else. So it's working for me and I'm not going to stop. <laughs> no, I love that. And I love the fact that you mentioned that you were that person, you know, and mm -hmm not actually utilizing the spiritual side can I ask how did your spiritual journey develop was it was it someone actually speaking to you was it a book that made you actually think no I need to to do more on this this area of my life because I know it's going to help me what was it that inspired you to actually take that journey it was a personal what felt like a personal slap in the face by God himself. <laughs> it was, it was a personal experience, you know, yeah. um, I've always been a little bit hardheaded. I've always been a little bit stubborn and I've always been very resolved in my beliefs. Mm -hmm. And so spirituality was something that was very difficult for me because I'm a very logical person. I like to break things down step-by-step step in a way that makes sense. You know, mm -hmm. um, even when I went to school, I studied economics and psychology. I studied sciences, things where you can say, if this, then that, that's the way that my brain tends to work. Yeah. And, you know, when I was growing up all throughout school uh, in my college years, I was just looking at my life and I said, okay, well, if spirituality is a real thing, whatever spirit exists, it don't like me. It must have a vendetta against me because I grew up without a whole lot of money. I grew up without, you know, the biological father in my life. I've been cut from the gymnastics team four times in five years. I, uh, uh, what else? But parents, you know, my, my dad, my, my stepdad, he had been diagnosed with cancer while I was in college twice. Wow. My mom had the autoimmune disease. Uh, the girl that I had been dating for three years when I was in college was, was physically assaulted, like all these different things. So I was sitting there as a 22 year old, like, if God exists, he, he doesn't really care for me, you know, um, which was totally contrary to how I was raised because I was raised that you pray every night, you read your Bible, you know, but I didn't believe in it. It's mm. just what was around me. Yeah. And there's a very, very particular moment where um, I'd had my wrist surgery. So my junior year of college, I was 22 years old and I had torn what's called your TFCC, 
it's a ligament in your wrist. You can still see the scar right there. And it evulsed, meaning it didn't tear down the middle or snap like that. It actually ripped off the bone and took a chunk of the bone with it. So they had to completely reconstruct this area of my wrist. And that was on year four out of five of trying so desperately to make the team. And so I kind of knew that my gymnastics career was over at that point. I was still, of course, planning the comeback. I was going to rehab. I was going to get back in shape. I was going to do what I could. But deep down, I kind of knew that's probably the end of the road for me, you know? Yeah. And, you know, when you've been working towards something for what I started at 10 years old. So I've been working on, on this one thing for 12 years of my life at that point, that was pretty crushing. And then you add in all the other stuff that I was going through during those college years, parents being sick, finances are rough, you know, personal relationships all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just a rough, rough period. And I remember my mom came to to be there for my surgery. And, and this is right in the mix of all of this stuff happening, you know? Yeah. And she came for my surgery and, um, and, and she brought me a Bible and I was like, whatever, you know, I, I don't know why you're bringing this to me. Yeah. And she got in the car, you know, the day or two after the surgery, she left, she went back home, uh, back home to Alabama. I was still in Michigan at this point. And that night I opened up the front cover of that Bible and on the cover, it was a note from her. And anybody who knows me know that my mom is my person. Like I would fight an army for her. Yeah. And on the cover of that Bible, she said, one day I'm going to leave you in this world alone to fend for yourself. And if there's anything that I can give you, it's what's in this book. And I just melted because that was at that time in my life everything was going wrong yeah. and there's this passage in Ruth. Um, and, and I'm not, you know, I think spirituality is something that it doesn't have to be a particular religion. It doesn't have to be a religion at all. Mm-hmm. It can just be you getting in touch with whatever, whatever you feel like that energy is. Yeah. So I'm not saying it has to be the Bible. I'm just saying for me, that's what I use. And, uh, there's this passage in Ruth that basically says, uh, the, the language that they use is praying in anguish. And basically they're saying that it gets some different results than when you just pray for the sake of praying. And that night was the first time I ever prayed in anguish, right? I prayed as if somebody was listening. I prayed as if I expected somebody to to hear it. And I'd never done that before. I'd prayed out of obligation because I was told as a kid, you're supposed to pray at night, but I didn't really think anything of it. Mm -hmm. That was the first time I really, it was the first time I talked to God, you know? And uh, exactly a month after that moment, I met a man named Eric Thomas. He was the number one motivational speaker in the world. And uh, he started to mentor me. And that ended up becoming an internship that became a job that became a ridiculous career that I never would have imagined for myself. Yeah. And I remember literally crying on the floor of my apartment that night, reading what she had wrote in, in the front cover of that Bible. And I prayed to God and I said, you know, if you can get me out of this, because everything in my life was going wrong. My relationships are going wrong you know, my, my parents' health is wrong. Finances are wrong. I have no direction in life. I'm getting cut from the team. Everything's wrong. If you can help me get out of this, I'll give you the credit forever. And uh, a month later, he changed my life. So. Wow. And also it's like you, you brought yourself, you know, you broke down the barriers and you allowed yourself to be vulnerable. And in that Mm -hmm. moment, that's all I almost feel. I mean, I'm, I'm very spiritual, so I so um, I should have actually warned you before the sh- the show that sometimes I pick up things that maybe aren't said, so I just kind of sense things. So if I'm totally off 
off topic here, then please forgive me. But um, I kind of get the sense that it's almost that you broke apart just to be rebuilt. That's the image that I'm getting. Just, 100%. Yeah. I mean, there, there, and there's even some stuff that I'm not telling you just because we're on camera. Mm, I mean, yeah. of, of how bad it really was. You know, mm. I, I was making some bad decisions with my life at that point. Yeah. And I think you're absolutely right. I was I was so closed off that I couldn't allow the possibility of something greater to even enter my life and enter my spirit mm. because I wanted to be in control of everything. I wanted to figure everything out. I wanted to fix everything myself. And I think God knew me very, very well. Mm. And he said, you know what? I know your personality. You're not going to accept me until you are just completely sure that you can't do it on your own. So I'm going to have to break you so that I can build you. Yeah, definitely. Just put my charger on there. No, I think, yeah, it definitely comes across like that. And it's almost like gluing you back together, if that makes sense. Almost like the, the broken pieces and making you stronger than you've ever been, which obviously you've said you've actually then gained that mentor and then sort of moved forward. Can you um, tell us how do you help someone get over their limitations? Yeah, absolutely. I think the first thing that you have to do is identify it, right? You mentioned self-awareness earlier. I, I love that you mentioned that because without self-awareness, we don't even know where to start. You yeah. know, I always think about it in terms of a GPS. If you go out there into your car right now and you pull up ways or something, and you have the exact coordinates of where you want to go. You know, I want to make X amount of money. I want to have this kind of life. I want to be in this kind of physical condition. I, whatever it is that you want out of your life, if you know exactly crystal clear vision, we talked about vision boards earlier. Mm -hmm. If you have a crystal clear vision of where you want to go, but then your GPS system can't figure out where you're starting from, it won't be able to calculate a route. It, as, as clear as you are on where you want to end up. If you don't know where you are today, you can't possibly calculate a route of, of how to get there. Mm -hmm. So I think have, you have to start with the self-awareness. You have to start with, you know, what are my strengths? What are my limitations? And what is the gap that I need to close in order to get to where I want to go? I think that's step one. Step two is you got to get around people who elevate your expectations, right? Your expect, I always tell people that exposure elevates their expectations. So if you have a limitation with, let's just say time management, go get around some people who are always early. Just go start making some friends, go hang out with people who are always early. I bet you'll pick up on their behaviors. That's the biggest thing that I've learned with Eric Thomas is that I don't know if we've ever sat down and him said, okay, here's how I want you to write a keynote. Here's how I want you to speak. Here's how I want you to do this here. We've never done. I've been working with him for three years. We've never done that, yeah. but I'm around him. I talk to him on the phone every day, almost every gig that he does. I'm standing 30 feet off to the side of the stage. I'm shaking the same hands. He's shaking. I'm going in, we're going backstage. We're talking to people like I'm seeing him do what he does. And that exposure of how he carries himself and the way that he acts, it elevates my expectations for myself. Right. So if you have a particular limitation, then go get exposed to people who have already overcome it and you will learn almost by osmosis. And, and one thing that I tell people is if you don't, because you might be sitting there saying, well, I don't have access to Eric Thomas. I don't have access to some of these incredible people. Yes, you do. 
Yes, you do. You can follow these people on Instagram. You can follow these people on YouTube. You know, you can get to know somebody in the day and age that we are in. You can understand somebody's thinking and understands their, their standards of excellence. You can see that. You can get exposed to it without paying a dime and without ever having to put yourself physically in a position to meet them just by what you fill your mind with in terms of the accounts you follow on social media, the content that you're watching online, even the affirmations that you tell yourself, you can fill yourself up with the right things to overcome any limitation without investing a dime or leaving your house. It's yeah. it's so much easier nowadays than it's ever been before. Yeah, exactly. And also, I think one thing that um, I also want to touch upon there is affirmations. A lot of people think, okay, yep, it works for some people. Doesn't work for me. I've, you know, I've heard that a lot of people have said that. Um, what would you say is the key point in making affirmations work for you? I mean, for me personally, I always say you've got to connect with that affirmation. And I always sort of bring in like the visualization. If it's something that you really want, you're able to visualize it, connect it. It's got to be coming from the heart. And therefore you can connect to that affirmation and it can, you know, it's not just words. What would you um, advise in terms of affirmations and how they work? I think you have to believe it. Mm. I think that's the, the, the end all and be all is if you don't truly believe it and you know, right? Like if you stand there in the mirror and you say, I am a millionaire. And then in, in the back of your mind, you're like, eh, it doesn't feel right. Yeah. doesn't feel like that's in alignment. You know if you believe it or not, right? And I remember, I, it, it's funny that you mentioned that. I remembered when I was going to ask Eric Thomas for an internship, right? I was still in college and he was doing this free event about an hour away from me. And I had made up my mind, you know, here's what I'm going to do. I put a folder together, 60 pages worth of writing samples, resume, cover letter, everything I could think of to convince him to give me a shot. Yeah. And I was going to go approach him that night and ask him for some kind of opportunity. And of course that turned into the internship, which turned into the job, which turned into everything else. Mm -hmm. And I remember being in the car on the way over there. And I distinctly remember physically feeling a difference between how I felt then when I said, I am going to get this opportunity with ET versus how I felt when I said, I am going to make the gymnastics team at Michigan. When I was in the car on the way to go meet ET that night, I had this feeling of the only way that this does not happen. The only way that this doesn't work is if God himself, the universe itself says, nope, you're, you, it can't happen. Like if, if God comes down here and kills me and takes me away. Okay, cool. But other than that, anything short of that, this is going to happen yeah. with making the gymnastics team. It was kind of like please, I want this to happen, but I didn't believe that it was going to happen, right? So I think that that belief in what you're saying is the X factor between if it's really going to work or if it's not, because I think that, again, whatever you choose to believe in, God, the universe, it knows when you're serious. It knows when you really believe what you're saying, right? Yeah. So then the question becomes, well, how do I foster that belief? And I think there's two things there. I think the first thing is uh, your beliefs lead to your actions, your actions lead to your results, and your results lead to 
your beliefs, right? It's that that belief action results flywheel. Yeah. And if you're having trouble believing in what you're telling yourself, I would say start taking action. Just start acting as though you really did believe, right? So if you have a certain financial goal in mind, start acting as though you are going to make that number, like whatever that number is for you. Mm -hmm. Do the things that you need to do. Get on the sales calls, build your website, like whatever it is that you need to do, then start doing those things and you'll start to get some results. Maybe it's not a million dollars, maybe it's a hundred dollars, but guess what? Now you're a hundred dollars closer to your goal. And now you start to say, oh, I actually know how to make money. Okay, now your belief is reinforced that maybe I can do this. And then you start to take some greater actions, some bigger actions, you get bigger results, you get bigger belief. And then it goes and goes and goes. So that's one way that you can do it. The second thing that I would do is really ask yourself if that affirmation that you're saying is truly in alignment with who you want to become. Mm -hmm. Because I do think that sometimes people will, will try to say affirmations that really aren't even meant for them, but they just thought it's what they were supposed to say. Like you, you could be over here chanting in the mirror at yourself. I'm a millionaire. I'm a millionaire. I'm a millionaire. When in reality, you don't even really want to be a millionaire. Like you don't really care about money like that. Finances doesn't drive you. You don't care. But social media told you that that's what you should be doing because your, you know, affirmation guru on Instagram said, no, you got to be doing this. And then you started saying some things that aren't really in alignment with your spirit. So I would kind of soul search and say, okay, what do I really want? And what do I really believe? And if you align those two things, your desires and your beliefs, I think you'll be in a good space. So again, it really does come back to knowing yourself and building that foundation. I always believe of who you are and taking it from there. Always, always. If you don't know who you are, it's tough to go anywhere from there. Mm, No, I love that. So what would you say is the golden nugget that our listeners can take away from this episode? I mean, there's so much golden nuggets in there, but what would you say is the last golden nugget that you would like to share with the listeners today? And the last thing I always like to share with people is take action. You know, things change (laughs) when you take action. Mm -hmm. And I don't even care if it's the wrong action still take action. I think so many people, they listen to content like this and they get filled up and they get inspired and they get motivated and they want to do something about it. And they get the information they have. uh, We just gave them a step-by-step formula for the affirmations, right? So they have the information, they have the motivation, but then they get this analysis paralysis of, well, what if it doesn't work for me? Mm. or, well, what if there's another technique that I should be trying instead? Like, this is great advice to you guys, but what if somebody else said something different and I should be, now I'm worried about, am I doing the right thing? And you overcomplicate the process where if you would just take action today, I don't care how small of a step it is. If you just do something, take some sort of action, the universe will give you the feedback that you're looking for. Your own spirit will give you the feedback that you're looking for. And I think people, for whatever reason, they think that they have to have a full plan. They have to have the next 60 years mapped out in front of them before starting. And it's like, you're not God. Like, why do you think that's not, that's not your job, right? Your job is to show up and everything that your hands find to do, do with all your might. Your job is to apply yourself fully, to show up fully as who you are and do the best that you can every single day. If you do that, the universe is going to take care of the rest, Right. So if you heard something today and you were like, you know what, maybe there's a chance that that could benefit me, Mm -hmm. take action on it today 
And I guarantee you, you will at least be one step further ahead tomorrow than you were today. Yeah, definitely. Love that. Thank you so much, Brandon. So finally, where can our listeners go to find out more about you and your services? For sure. I am B Burns on all social media. Try and keep it simple, keep it the same for everything. So it's I am B Burns on all social media and then I am bburns.com. Brandon, thank you so much for be, being an amazing guest. I know that there are probably a lot more questions that I could ask you and we could delve a lot deeper into mindset and just moving forward and taking action. But you've given so many nuggets there. And I just want to say thank you for being an awesome guest. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you to the listeners for investing in yourself and taking time just to listen to people like us talk about things that that we think are important. So thank you. You're welcome. Well, everyone, that's it for another episode. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and I'll see you real soon. Take care. Bye. I hope you enjoyed the show. Stay tuned for more tips, motivation, and of course, inspiration coming up real soon. I hope you enjoyed the show. Stay tuned for more tips, motivation, and of course, inspiration coming up real soon. If you want to email me and send me messages of what you thought of the show or anything you'd love me to cover on the show, please email me at coachrita at swastialiving.com. Swastia Living is S-W-A-S-T-H-Y-A-L-I-V-I-N-G dot com. See you real soon. Bye.